Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod, podcast episode 330 for June 7th, 2021. Today's guest is author Navo Zissin. We will be talking about their book, The Pronoun Lowdown, Demystifying and Celebrating Gender Diversity, and a whole bunch of their history and unique perspective as an activist and educator. This is one of those next level plugged into the mothership type of uh, interviews that you got to listen. You have to hear this. Oh, it's really good. Uh, by the way, I'm your host, Michael Heron. Today is my birthday. I'm 52 years old, and I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for well over 15 years. Next month, it'll be 16 years, by the way. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com, or you can just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron, or you can email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com. Yes, it's my birthday. <laughs> That's the only check-in I have today. I'm 52. What? It seems... Ah... Uh... Every year that I get older, I have these flashbacks to when I was younger and how I thought something would be different, like I would become a different person as an older person. Um, and that's not happening yet. I mean, I'm learning things and changing and growing and all that kind of stuff. But um, I thought like old people would be different from young people. Like I thought I'd like somehow shift into old person mode. And um, that hasn't happened yet that I'm aware of. Um, and I'm pretty grateful for that. So um, what I'd like for you to do when you're listening to this as a special birthday gift to me if you like this podcast, and hopefully you do, um, tell a friend. Just that's all I want. Tell a friend about this podcast, especially this one. I think that Navo's perspective on activism and gender diversity and all the different things we're going to be talking about is really special. And um, I, of course, I love for people to listen to my podcast in general, but this one especially, I think is a really great one to share. Uh, so please do that. Um, we're going to get into the interview, but first I want to do, as always, I want to thank my subscribers on Patreon who power this podcast and they power that sentence that has so many P's in it. Uh, there are These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks, like tons of free downloads of my music and zines, bonus podcasts. There's 70 or more of them at this point um, that you'll have immediate access to when you subscribe, including this week's bonus episode, which will be up in a couple of days. It features an extended conversation with today's guest, Navo Zissin. We'll be talking about some uh, surprisingly, we took a little spiritual turn in the bonus, and we talked about their delight for creating and making tiny things. Um, so if you didn't get enough or you don't get enough from this main interview, feel free to swing by Patreon. If you're already a subscriber at $5 or more, you could check out the bonus podcast. And if you're not, what a great time to subscribe because it's my birthday. Patreon.com slash Michael Heron. I want to play a track for you from a band in Houston. Uh, Craig Wilkins is one of the members of the group. Uh, a friend of mine who is also uh, a former guest on the podcast. It's probably time to have him back. Uh, this track is called Binary Codes and it's a track that uh, the Wheel Workers released for Pride Month. So uh, it felt like a great fit for today's episode and Pride Month. And oh my God, happy Pride. I feel really excited about Pride this year um yeah i i don't know yeah that's that could be a whole side topic but i'm feeling really excited i got my apple watch pride band going so you know it's 
pretty legit over here. Anyway, this is The Wheel Workers with Binary Codes. And after this, we'll hear from Navo Zissen.
Joining me now on the podcast is Navo Zissin. They are the author of the new book, The Pronoun Lowdown. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I always feel like I have to tell my secrets. We're restarting this interview. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to out yourself. I know. (laughs) If I'm going to out myself about it, why don't I just use the the flubbed part? Anyway, um, I'm really excited to be talking to you, as I mentioned, (laughs) the part I didn't record, uh, because I've been watching your videos and learning about your work, and it's really exciting and fun, and um, yeah, I really love seeing what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it feels really exciting to be able to speak to people in different countries about the work that I do because it's very centralized in Australia at the moment, but I would so love to expand those those borders as well. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. I'll do my best to uh, spread the word, of course. Um, <laughs> thanks. So the, the book, is it, uh, can you give like the the elevator speech about what the book is? Of course, we'll talk about it more, but just so people can kind of know what we're going into. Sure, I'll do my darndest. Uh, It's basically like a cute 101 guidebook on pronouns, but also a bit about the historical context of trans timelines, of gender-neutral language in English, and the ways that gendered languages around the world are adapting to more neutral language use. Um, I've got a list of like pioneers and trailblazers that I really look up to, as well as like movies and books um, that trans people are within that I recommend or... Um, have enjoyed. And yeah, it's just kind of like placing a bit of a context on gender neutral language and also has a bit of my story weaved in as well. Mm, Which I think kind of makes it another level of interest to know, you know, what your experience is as well. Your own pronoun journey, I think, is how it's described in the uh, press release that I saw. Um, What what was there a specific reason why you decided to put your story in with the sort of general idea about learning about pronouns and gender identity? I'm deeply self-obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, I mean, maybe that's true too. But um, I, so I wrote a memoir as my first book. It's called Finding Nevo or Finding Nevo. Um, <laughs> and that came out in 2017. And that is a memoir all about my gender transition. Um, and I guess since then, I've gone on to become a public speaker and I run workshops in schools and workplaces around trans education. And I guess I find that the best way to educate in the workshops that I run is through storytelling and is through personal and intimate connection. I think it's really hard to bring theory into day-to-day life for people a lot of the time. I find that, you know, I find it hard to connect with just like a theoretical framework, but when I can hear really practical examples of how that exists in someone's life and in their body, you know, it makes it much easier for me to understand it in my own life and body. And I think like humor is something I find as a really important vehicle for connection and for understanding. And I don't think these topics need to be scary. Like I know that people do find them overwhelming and intimidating, especially when they really want to do the right thing, but they're just not getting it right. Um, And so I think humor and accessibility is like a really important part for me. I feel like once people have laughed in my workshops, we're relaxed into the space and we can have a much better time. I usually start off my workshops, in fact, by saying, you know, sometimes people are a little bit worried about laughing at my jokes because they might be perceived as transphobic. Um, But I promise that it's way more transphobic not to laugh at my jokes because I'm objectively funny. And then (laughs) it just kind of sets the standard a little bit. People relax. They're not like, oh, a trans person, how do I act? They're like, oh, this is just 
a person who is like funny and nice and I can listen to their story and engage. Yeah. Yeah. I can really relate to being that person um, as a cis gay guy. You know, there was this whole sort of, you know, that realization of like, Oh wait, <laughs> I, I don't get, I, I, I don't want to go too deep in all this, but I'm one of those people. And it was years ago. Um, gratefully, but it still feels awkward to tell this, like reveal that I was one of those people that was like, you can't use they, them as singular mm. pronouns. And it took some people like handholding and, you know, allowing me to, I don't want to, I don't want to call myself an idiot because that might infer that someone else would be for thinking that as well. I don't know. I, I think I, what I'm trying to say is I appreciate the humor and the openness with your, mm. with your work and your education, but I'm also curious what, is is it a difficult balance in, in those spaces which I'm and I'm presuming that you have these moments when you're like, ah, like can't, you know, like a feeling of frustration about someone not getting something simple like like this, mm. uh, the they them pronoun or something like that. Is it is it a difficult line to walk to be able to? Yeah, that's a good question, Michael. And I think, you know, firstly, I really appreciate your honesty and your openness because I think that people need to hear those stories in order to um, let their guard down and understand that it's not a static position, that there is like development to go. And, um, and you know, like I wasn't born woke or like switched on to political justice like I've had a lot of people gently guide me through that or sometimes less gently like call me in or pull me up on stuff and you know I think people who kind of sit on their high horses a little bit about political justice and social justice stuff probably need to like take a little bit of stock on who has led them there because they didn't just get there on their own like there is community importance and accountability in that I think as well but I also say that as someone who is an educator in this area like I don't think I've taken this task on because I'm trans I think I've taken it on because I'm passionate about being an educator Uh, and I think what's also really important is I get paid for my work so if someone wants to talk to me about they them pronouns not being a singular uh, only being a singular (laughs) not being um (laughs) when when I am you know, on the street or on a dance floor or at a cafe, my patience is probably significantly lower than if I am in a work context where I'm getting paid a certain amount of money to be there and I've set that rate and I am here and I'm open and I'm ready. Um, And I think that what that comes down to is autonomy and what it also comes down to is consent Um, because I am literally here and I'm consenting to having these conversations. I'm patient and I know the tools to get people to those places. Um, but in my own personal life, that looks very different. And I think that's why, you know, marginalized people just becoming activists or becoming educators or people de- demanding that from us is inherently quite problematic because that is not the role that everyone wants to embody. And some people just want to exist and just, you know, want to be people. Um, and also I can, you know, even though I think intention doesn't always equal impact and you can have very good intentions and still cause a lot of harm, I can tell why people are asking me certain questions and what place it's coming from. And I think there's a really big difference between people being like, I just don't understand this thing. Can you explain it? Versus I don't understand this thing and I'm angry and I'm putting my walls up and nothing you can say can penetrate that. And that's a very different kind of person to deal with. Um, 
I'm not trying to get those sorts of people on my side. I'm not really trying to convert those sorts of people into believing that I deserve basic human rights. If my presentation doesn't get them there, whatever, you know, mm. it's like picking your battles a little bit as well. Yeah, that is something I found. I do animal activism. And one of the things I found is something really similar. Like you can tell when someone's baiting you into an argument more than wanting to understand and, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you will probably relate to this as well. Like the longer I've done that sort of activism for the longer I've been on social media and the older I get, the less I'm easily baited into those sorts of arguments. I just don't really have the time. I'd much rather have a cup of tea and hang out with my friends. I don't really need to win arguments on the internet anymore. My ego is not really wrapped up in this stuff as much as it may be used to mm-hmm. um, because it's not really about me. You know, it doesn't really have anything to do with me. It's about social justice and world change and about going down on the right side of history and planting the seeds for future generations and like the life cycle of activism that spans generations. Like it's just so much bigger than I am. So I don't really need to win every Facebook debate. And I've learned that by not needing that anymore, I can fill up my cup in between activism things far better and know when to engage and when not to. Mm, That's It's a lesson I'm still (laughs) learning. Oh, look, maybe it's easier said than done. I don't know if I always. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. A pretty big debate with someone, so. (laughs) Yeah. It all sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, well, it didn't sound in any way like you meant you were always like that. But I was thinking about, I think when I have like some weird thing going in my life I feel frustrated about, often I'm learning this pattern about myself, like I'll go searching for someone with the wrong point of view on Facebook to argue with, which does not help any situation. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, I think maybe they'll save that for my for my therapist. We'll talk about oh, that. Look, it's something we're all trying to cultivate, you know, like it's certainly not easy. But I think also having surrounding yourself with people who do understand that and who are supportive and who nourish you and love you through that process makes it less I mean, I was doing so much of that arguing when I was like the only feminist in high school or the only trans person under the age of 60 that I knew. And so I was the only person arguing that side. I think part of me being able to back down now is that I feel like I have more ideological partners out there than I did when I was younger. Mm. That, that was something I wanted to talk about too. It, and and I'm, I welcome your perspective about this also from someone who's not in the United States because my perspective perspective of course is limited here but it feels like the conversation is broadening and more and more people are involved in the conversation is that is that what you're feeling as well yeah i definitely think so i mean i think social justice in a wider sense feels like it is broadening i think that like feminism was such a dirty word when i was in high school and i was so part of so few people who openly called themselves that let alone queer let alone trans um let alone you know into sort of anti-racist solidarity and like black lives matter and sort of those ideas like we're just in some of the whitewashed spaces I existed in were not like that at all. Whereas now I'm seeing people very openly at protests talking about prison abolition, which was just like never, that was always the margins or the most radical. That was never the mainstream in the protests. And so I'm definitely witnessing that transition for sure. And like, I think now it almost has gotten to a point where like, 
every teenager I meet is a feminist to the point where we actually have to start critiquing feminism much more. <laughs> and like, you know, we're getting to like the, the more nuanced, like less 101 and more 202 or 505 conversation. Like we're actually starting to get deeper. But, you know, I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day where I sort of had this epiphany of sorts while watching Disclosure on Netflix, which is, you know, talking all about trans representation in the media and and how that's informed transphobia in real life. And I just kind of had this moment where I realized, I mean, I came out in 2013, which wasn't that long ago. Um, but in the scheme of trans politics and trans representation in the last few years is a long time ago. I mean, with with 2014, we had the supposed transgender tipping point of Time magazine, Laverne Cox, Caitlyn Jenner. We've had, you know, so much trans revolution in that time that it made me realize that, you know, maybe in the little pocket of world that I exist in, but I am part of the last generation to grow up without trans representation. And that was just like mind-boggling you know and obviously in other places around the world that's still going to exist but having even just hollywood stars like elliot page come out as trans and having that so much more in the cultural zeitgeist is so not what i grew up with i had no representation i had no imaginings for my future especially not as a non-binary person um and i mean certainly no jewish trans representation and then i got transparent and i was like what the hell what is this feeling <laughs> like why am i crying all the time is this what representation feels like because i don't know if i like it it's too close to home <laughs> um but you know like that is just so so mind-boggling and and i think taking stock and taking those moments to really look out at the view and not always look at the pinnacle of the mountain which is so far ahead of us and there is so much work to do but every so often to set up a picnic and actually view how far we have come i think is a really important practice in the sustainability of activism uh, i'm gonna jot that down it's really it really you know and, and i think this is part of my uh, uh insistence uh, in those moments like i mentioned before of like seeking out people to argue with essentially mm. um what a what what a great idea to perhaps look at the people that that are like getting it and spend the energy there as a mm -hmm. form of self-care and and moving myself forward i think that's really really good to hear yeah, there's this really cool, I can't remember exactly what it's called, and maybe some of your listeners will, might know of it, but there's this really cool, I'm going to botch the description, but um, it's kind of a, a table and it sort of shows like um, the steps in order to stand in solidarity with a group or like be anti-oppressive or an activist or whatever. And you've got people who are kind of like completely bigoted and, and disgusting and spouting hatred. And then you've got people who are like genuine, amazing, standing in solidarity activists and what i really enjoy about it is it talks about how you know through your work you're not really trying to get the bigoted awful people to the other side you're rather trying to just shift them one box at a time and i just really 
love that idea because I'm I'm not trying to convert everyone to be my like ultimate accomplice in the trans revolution. <laughs> I am just trying to kind of shuffle people along their own journey or their own self-actualization or realizations. And I think when we hold ourselves to that standard of getting people to be at the perfect utopic end, we don't understand the life cycle of activism, which is unfortunately not like social media in its instant gratification, but is generational life cycles, you know, like it's like we are constantly sowing the seeds that we will never harvest, that we will never actually harvest the fruit of because they may take 70, 100, 400 years to actually grow. And we are also constantly eating the fruit of all of the tireless efforts of our ancestors and activists before us, who some of whom were lost in the trenches, you know, and through the AIDS epidemic and queer liberation movements and whatever, like we are constantly eating that fruit. I didn't get to be a trans author and activist because it's it's 2021 wake up people that's the linearity of time <laughs> but rather because people people have been fighting their entire existences for that you know and so i try to remember to exercise patience sometimes especially in those arguments because it, it is a long game mm. i love the way you think back to these pioneers of the lgbtqia plus movement are there um i maybe not favorites i would are there pioneers from that realm that you think are particularly unknown that that you want to share about like i don't know if i phrase that question right does it yeah, make sense no, what i'm I, asking I think that, yeah i think that you did i mean uh i guess like the best answer that i have for you is that i don't think that i know them mm. you know like the, when you were speaking the first person that came to my mind and i had this sort of entire dialogue in my mind before <laughs> you, you threw to me because i was thinking of marsha p johnson obviously and mm -hmm. this like powerful like throwing the stones and then i was thinking oh throwing bricks and then i was thinking well, you know, people have contested whether she was actually the one who threw the bricks and how she has gotten quite a lot of attention and there were a lot of other people who were present there and blah, blah, blah. And I just had this whole kind of moment with myself and was trying to think of other names and then realized that maybe I don't know them, you know, and that I think the the ancestors that I feel in my body and the power that I feel are somewhat nameless and that that's okay, you know, because there is a there is an energy in that and there is a reason why i don't know them you know like our history hasn't just been incidentally erased it has been consciously erased i mean i come from a people whose books have been burnt you know and and so much of our knowledge and our our wisdom has been um extinguished or or attempted to to be extinguished as a jewish person and i know lots of other people will relate to that as well through systems of colonization and genocide and displacement and so i I don't think it's an accident that we don't know their names. I think it is completely orchestrated and on purpose. Um, and I don't, you know, part of me really wants to know their names. I want to delve into the history and understand better. And another part of me knows that maybe I don't have to in order to honor them, that maybe I can hold their energy and their passion and their power in everything that I do. And maybe that's enough. I hope that that's enough. Mm. That's a, I love that perspective. Um, that just that idea of like, 
of, we don't know who they are. Like, and they're mm. countless people. There's reminds me of a story. I don't know that this applies, but I think it like it, it, it connects for me. Um, I'm also in recovery. And when I moved to New York, I guess New York city, 10, 12 years ago, I got a new sponsor um, who had been in recovery in New York city since the sixties. And mm. he was telling me about a time when he first started going to meetings to find the gay meetings where like it was okay to be openly gay. They like the, there's a whole intergroup system where people can call and say, Oh, I'm an alcoholic. I need to find a meeting. And if someone sounded like they needed a gay meeting, there was, there was a person who everyone seemed to know about, or many people seemed to know about who had a book that was like hidden and you could open that, like you had to wow. somehow get connected to them. They would look in the book that was kept yeah, a secret wow. so that people could go to gay meetings. But it just m- makes me real. Like I thought of that because of the way you were talking about how our history is hidden and intentionally mm. kept out of sight. And for some reason that story came up, you know, people just wanting to get help even yeah. had to do it in the shadows. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with me, Michael. And I think, you know, the lack of intergenerational relationships that we have in our communities so often speaks to also that, like, lack of connection to history. And um, But, yeah, I mean, even what you just said then about, like, we've lived in the shadows, I so resonate with that. And I think so much of our history has been lived in the shadows that I'm not sure I want to put a spotlight on it. You know, like, it's an interesting kind of framework to navigate because I think historically so much of our community has been invisibilized and now I think what we're experiencing is this hyper visibility which comes with it so many pros but also so many cons I mean we've got so many more anti-trans legislation in policy development in the US in the UK in Australia you know all over the place and I think young people are growing up with such a an acute awareness of how the world feels about them and how people feel about them in a way that I'm not sure historically happened in the same sense like it was just sort of unspoken or unsaid or taboo and you know I think it presents its own very unique problem so I feel like there are these really interesting tight ropes that we're walking along of how to sort of honor our history whilst not completely exposing it to the to the masses who maybe don't deserve those stories and then also how do you navigate invisibility and hypervisibility I mean these are all questions I, I certainly don't have the answers to them yeah and and there's also like we've seen here in the US, this massive horrifying pushback of yeah. yeah what <laughs> I speak of things that should not be named. Uh, I don't even <laughs> want to speak specifics, but you yes. know, like witnessing that kind of reaction on such a large scale to people just wanting to be who they are is it's heartbreaking to to put yeah. it in like a understated way like uh, there's no words for that absolutely yeah but you know that makes me think of something you said in one of these interviews that i was watching um and and i think i wrote this quote down exactly (laughs) i hope it's not it's something you could speak on um you said you were uh, you were talking about transphobia i don't think you specifically said that but you said i don't think it's just hate and violence it comes from a deep place of pain you Mm -hmm. know some of this you know 
Well, I think you could speak on that idea better than I could. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there is a reason why male suicide rates are so high in the world. I think that the patriarchy is something that deeply harms all of us. And I think that gendered norms and expectations are something that deeply hurt all of us. And that is what I do in my training. I don't talk about, you know, cis versus trans and how different the trans experience is. And, you know, I find it really ironic when cis people are like, wow, so tragic to be like born in the wrong body and what it must feel like to hate your body so much and i'm like yeah what's it like for you loving your body all the time mm. oh okay you don't because you live in a society that profits off your self-doubt and that that is actually a very universal experience or like or what does it mean to actually feel a sense of belonging in your body and feel seen for truly who you are that is also an experience that cis people might experience you know might have and so I think this universalizing of the pain and the trauma and the grief that exists in our bodies by castrating ourselves and shaving down parts of ourselves in order to fit into these two gendered molds that could never encompass 7.8 billion people approximately or, you know, many different cultures and many different understandings of gender and expression. I mean, gender is historically fluid it is geographically fluid like we know that different versions of gender have existed for all of time immemorial you know you look at any culture in the world and especially any ancient culture or first nations cultures and there are different understandings of genders i mean in australia or so-called australia there are aboriginal brother boys and sister girls who have been here for eighty thousand plus years you know even in judaism there are six different genders represented in our holy scripture like there are so many different genders in the world there are you know indian hydra hawaiian mahu javanese wadia it is the the binary we have created that is actually the new fad not these non-binary or gender transitions that are the left-wing kind of invention they have existed for far longer than pink and blue have i mean pink becoming a girl's color was only in the the early 1900s it's not even um that long ago so there's just so much to unpack. Once you start to begin to unpick the ways that we have socially conditioned gender, I really believe that so many people have had to shave down parts of themselves, you know, the young boys who have been told to man up or that they're being wusses and, you know, emotions make them weak. That's something that we learn over and over again. We are told and we conform to these boxes, some of us more easily than others. But then I think we build our own cages around our bodies and sometimes we leave body parts outside and then we're holding the, the bars and we look outside and we see people dancing and we see people free and we see people twirling and it makes us angry because we're like, well, why should I have done all of this conditioning and programming and disposing of parts of myself and you just get to live free well fuck you that's not fair and i think that's where it comes from i think it comes from a deep a deep-seated inner child pain and dissonance you know i've never met a man who's told me you know when i was a little boy and i fell off my bike and my dad told me to man up that was really great Really glad that happened. Haven't had any emotions since, you know, and I'm grateful for it. Like I've never, I've never <laughs> heard that. I've never heard a woman say to me when I'm impassioned and I'm speaking about something I really care about and someone tells me I'm emotional and I'm on my period, that feels great because I'm 
always on my period and it informs my perspective on everything. <laughs> like I never hear these things. I don't think I don't think any of us are liberated by these norms. I really don't. I believe we would be so much more liberated by being met as who we are as individuals, of who our hob- what our hobbies are, what we like to wear. I mean, I dress depending on the weather and what's appropriate for the event I'm attending, not what has been predetermined for my genitalia or my outward presentation. Like that seems like such an arbitrary way to choose clothing or you know why are we selecting clo- uh, toys for children based off their genitals are the toys operated by their genitals because if they are they're not for kids <laughs> you know and if they're not then that doesn't need to be a deciding factor so i just think once you start to kind of pull the blindfolds back on this situation like it really reveals so much and I think there's so much healing that can come in that you know like really a rising tide like brings all ships to the to the shore it's like this is liberation for all of us trans people are not trying to do this to overturn the rights of women and overturn the rights of feminists and oppress white men and we are trying to liberate everyone Mm. I'm so glad you said that and I was kind of starting to feel that way and that was going to be my next question, but you answered it way better than I could have asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so super happy. You know, I, so and I, I partly, I, uh, back to my own sort of, I, I feel weird bringing up my struggle with accepting transgender Please. people because it just seems silly, but it's not because it's a, something that people go through. There, uh, There's a uh, vegan sandwich shop in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, that it's not there anymore. Sadly, I loved the place. But there was a person that worked there who did not, ex- didn't present any particular gender. And mm-hmm. I would find myself getting really frustrated. Well, frustrated both because I knew I was missing it and like, you you shouldn't be feeling this way, like get over it. But I couldn't, I ca- every time I went in there, I was like, is this, are you, like, it was, I'm, <laughs> it was like, I'm cool with like, being transgender, but which one are you? Like, who, yeah. how am I supposed to identify you? And I literally yeah. remember a day that I was in line and I was just like, wait, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> they, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't like, and to me, it was a revelation in that moment. And it's that, that liberation you're talking about. Yeah. I'm cisgender. It's for, like, the more I discuss this, the more I'm like, well, am I? You know, (laughs) maybe I just haven't thought about it enough. But, you know, it made me realize that, oh, I get to be free, too, because I don't have to worry about whether someone is presenting as male or female. This is just a person who I like seeing. Um, They're really fun to see and get a sandwich from. That's all. Mm. That's it. Like, and I think I I think you're speaking about something so uh Profound, really, because I think it comes from a real inner child confusion about the world where we're like, I need to categorize. I need to understand what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is boy, what is girl. And that will make sense because the end of the day, the world is a very, very confusing, very magical place that cannot actually be distilled into these categories. I mean, science time and time again is coming up with new discoveries 
theories that disprove the last discoveries and we will never fully make sense of the world that we live in and when you liberate yourself from that and realize that i won't have all of the answers you are free and that experience that you had where you were like it actually doesn't matter and and i think i'm okay with that and you know i think because of because of capitalism and because of toxic masculinity and colonization you know we've really fetishized this like knowledge like attaining knowledge and understanding everything and categorizing everything and consuming things and everything makes sense and this is this and this is how this works and just making things black and white because if everything is rainbow it's way too confusing and we have to see in so many different colors and so many dimensions and it's just easier not to um and i and i get that you know but there is such a wonder and such a magic in finding that curiosity and just meeting things where they're at. I mean, that story so much, Michael, reminds me of um, on my birthday once I went out uh, hiking with a bunch of my friends and, you know, we were we were a pack of trans people in the bush. Like we... <laughs> We looked very trans. This was not like my friends who were trying to like pass or be stealth or anything. Like we were all very gender non-conforming, really fucking with gender in the bush, small town. And we go into the local bakery and this guy who's got a massive weed tattoo on his arm stops and looks at me and he goes, oh, that that's great. And I was like, sorry, what what's great? And he was like, I can't tell if you're a boy or a girl. And I was like, okay, um, do you need to? Do you, do you need to? And he was like, no, that's great. <laughs> and walked off. <laughs> and I said to my friends, I was like, I think I was just correctly gendered. <laughs> like, it doesn't happen often as a non-binary people, person where I don't feel misgendered. But I was like, this man's confusion, but also his joy in it, um, was my gender, you know, like I actually felt very seen. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's beautiful. You know, there's so much about the world that we don't know and we don't understand as, as society, as humanity, but also as individuals, I'm not an expert in so many areas and, you know, or really any areas except my own story. And the older I get, the more I understand what I don't know or how much there is that I don't know. And I think if you are hoping you will know everything about the world, you will just like dig yourself into a perfectionist hole. Um, once you realize that you're just never going to understand everything, you're kind of free and you don't really need to categorize stuff in that way so much anymore. Mm. Beautiful. Just beautiful. <laughs> we have to wrap up this conversation. I can't believe we've been talking so long already. Oh, um, so quickly. Yeah. Where, should, where can we find the book and find more about you? Yeah, so the Pronoun Lowdown uh, is hopefully available in your local bookstores. And if it's not, I would be so grateful if you asked them to get it in. Um, I know that it's available at Barnes & Noble and Target and Walmart. Um, I certainly owe you, if you can, to go to independent booksellers and please don't buy it from Amazon. I really, really don't like them. Uh, you can also find me on my social media. I am all over the internet because I'm a millennial. So you can find me on Instagram, Navozissen. Um, my Facebook, Navozisan Author, um, or my website, Navozisan.com. I provide training and can do lots of stuff over the webs in these day day and age. Um, I'm also trying to get on the TikToks, but I'm too much of a grandpa to understand how it works, so don't find me there. <laughs> Yet. Yet. We'll see. <laughs> and if you're, well, obviously, I love, and if you're listening to this, which you must be because you just heard me say that, 
Uh, I'll put links in the show notes to all of Navo's uh, social media and where to find the book and all that kind of stuff. So you can just swing by there. Don't worry if you don't remember. You could just go to MikeyPod.com. Um, oh, and we'll have a bonus conversation uh, on Patreon that'll go up in a couple of days. So look out for that. Navo, thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. The bonus chat is where all the saucy stuff happens. It's going to be saucy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This is really wonderful. Did you think that you could simply erase me? Did you think you were strong and that I'd crumble? I'm not somebody else you can take hold of. Did you think that you won?
from their album Safe From Your Affection. That was Trana Winter. Trana is also a friend of mine, and uh, we performed here in New York City one time together. Oh, hi, Trana. Um, if you want to check out more from Trana, you could uh, just check out the show notes, and I'll put a link to our conversation as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, Niveau Zissen, for joining me on the podcast this week. Thank you, listeners far and wide, for listening and experiencing uh, celebrating my birthday by telling a friend about this podcast. Uh, that's it. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Oh, wait, did I tell you to check out the bonus podcast? Well, if I didn't, I really mean it. <laughs> if I already did, I really mean it. Um, Patreon.com slash Michael Heron. I'll be talking to Naveau about their fascination for creating tiny things and a little bit of spiritual talk, too. All right, thanks for joining me.